Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics here. I hope you're having an amazing day. So we've got episode five in front of us and we're going to talk about saving strategy today. We've walked our way through our monthly and annual budgeting plan, our financial management conversations that Dr. Trogdon and I have had over the last few episodes. We wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into savings. It's an area that can be a bit intimidating because of the long process, the almost never ending process, and the big numbers that at a certain point in the process, you're going to think about and wonder, how am I going to get to retirement goals? And how am I going to get to that down payment on a house? How am I going to get that emergency fund put away in in time? When there's all these external variables coming at you, like uh, job changes or uh, kids moving family members, illnesses, things like that. So we walk through a few different things that have been on my mind over the last few years with Dr. Trogdon, and he gives us a little bit of advice. He talks to us a little bit about how he does it, how he did it when he was much younger, and uh, some of the uh, different levers that he pulled along the way to make sure things kept going in the right direction. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a few nuggets of info out of it. I would encourage you to use it, the data and the info that you're getting here, and use it alongside your trigonomics budgeting tool or whatever tool that you have so that you can kind of make sure that you are categorizing and uh, isolating your savings uh, when you're reviewing your monthly income statement, your monthly budgeting, um, so that you can really see your savings rate as well as um, just seeing how that count and those piles start to grow. So with that said, we'll jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next one. Trogonomics. Here we go. Good to see you again, Trog. We're on uh, episode five, season one. We've talked a lot about, in the last couple of episodes, we've talked a lot about how you're managing your money, your income, and your family budget, your kids' budget, how you're teaching them about money. And one of the components that's come out of that is savings, both teaching your kids about savings, but also managing uh, your income, your saving strategy, your retirement plan with your partner. And I wanted to do a little bit of a deeper dive here because this is something that I think can be quite intimidating. It's anonymous as well. So like if you don't make that deposit into that account, nobody's going to know. Um, it can also be a little overwhelming because there's lots of different ways you can save. There's lots of different things you need to save for. And there's also not always tons of income just lying around. So um, let's kind of get into it. I want to talk a little bit about where do we start and how do you think about savings? Um, welcome, of course, to the conversation and um, give us a little bit of a, maybe just an overhead view of your, your thoughts here. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we talked about the, what we're trying to teach the kids, we had a couple different buckets. One was long-term and one was shorter, medium-term. And I think, I think about, you know, my income and savings in the same way. And when I think about prioritization, I think, honestly, the first two things I think about are one is a short term and one is a long term. One, the, the short term is having enough buffer, kind of an emergency fund so that if something goes wrong, you can keep your lifestyle going and not, you know, not go into a lot of debt and things like that. So that's really important, but that's also relatively, you know, short term. It's, you know, you would, you want to save that up relatively quickly. You might need to use it relatively quickly. And then the other part of that barbell would be the long term stuff. So thinking about, retirement, but I think maybe, maybe, you know, what might be more motivational is thinking about the fact that 
you probably won't be able to work forever. Like there's going to be a time where you just won't be able to work anymore and you'll need some way to, to support yourself or maybe someone else planning for that. Cause there's just, there's not a lot of other ways to finance that. Unlike other things you could be saving for, you know, like college or a car where it's pretty easy to borrow, you know, it's, you know, there's lots of ways to, to skin that cat, but at some point, you're going to have to have some money that you're living off of without work. And so I like to prioritize, prioritize that really high as well. That's a, a great point that you made about college savings in that if you get to your kids starting college and you haven't made the, the full investment, you can borrow money. And the government, uh, depending on uh, what the world is going to be like in uh, 10 or 15 years, but in the last 10 to 30, 40 years, you can borrow pretty cheaply against your your future earnings and college funding. So that's a great example of, at the end of the day, you can't borrow money to live on when you're 80. That's right. Yeah. Uh, unless unless you're just rolling up that credit card or doing, you know, some of those kind of scarier things like reverse mortgages or, you know, taking out uh, cost of living loans or things like that. And that's something that with that in mind, is that where you're putting your top priority is end of career savings yeah, so that for us, we've been we've been doing this long enough that we've we've been able to build up our emergency fund, um, and the, the the next thing is is the long term stuff. I I've had some younger friends that you know as they get married and things ask me about how to prioritize to those two things. Like you know, it's usually you hear a rule of thumb that you for the emergency fund part you probably want a minimum three months. Some people go all the way up to a year. I kind of like the six month version of that of expenses, right? Now these are bare bones expenses, right? So if you're having to use this money, you're out of work, you're having trouble getting a job, like you're you're not going to be spending on a lot of the discretionary stuff. So zero, that's kind of what we mean with the with the 3 to 6 months. Zero income coming in. So it's not even like you have a side hustle or two. It's, you know, I'm at zero and I'm drawing. I got 3 months to go. That's what uh, I like to plan for. Yeah. Um is, or 6 months, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that can take a little while to to build up. Like I, you know, I when we were young married folks, you know, trying to get through on graduate stipends and things like that, you know, one our expenses weren't that high, so that helped. <laughs> it it wasn't the dollar figure wasn't as high to cover 6 months of our living, but we just it was tough to build that up. At the same time, I don't think you want to completely ignore the long term, especially if you're if the job that you're in as you're trying to build up that emergency fund has things like retirement matches, right? So if your employer is willing to put in a certain match percentage into a 401k or a 403b, whatever their retirement plan is, I usually tell my younger friends that are just starting out to do both, to get at, to contribute at least what they need to, to get the free money from the employer and then start focusing on that emergency fund. I think those are usually like my one and two for at least for the first few years once you get started out. Okay. So number one priority is saving for retirement. Within that, we're going to match as much as our employer will give us free money. And that's something that I think that's just pretty common knowledge is if the employer says, Hey, we've got a matching program, take it, take it. It's free money. You don't at, at the early stages when you're still trying to accumulate, you know, fill up some of these buckets of savings, just match it and stop there. Don't over save. Is that what you're suggesting? Or I think at least, yeah, at least until you, you get that, that emergency fund together. Um, Cause what that emergency fund is going to allow you to do is it's going to give you a lot of choices that we'll get into in the next few minutes about 
Now what do I do with the rest of my savings? Right. Right. As you get, you get one, you start building a habit for putting, putting some money away, but there's a specified amount that you need. And when you get to that one, you're confident, you know, you know, you can roll with, with some, when something bad happens and that all that money you were saving for that goal can now be put to other goals. And so we can have a larger conversation. You're, you know, you're comfortable, you're sleeping at night and you now have, believe it or not, some extra money or it might feel like extra money. And then we can talk about kind of what to do with the other types of things that you save for. Yeah. So that emergency fund is a significant priority. Yeah. I, again, and, and I think so. It, that- it does depend. Like, so I think the one caveat, it kind of depends on the work that you do. So in my current situation, I'm a tenured professor married to a nurse we are probably going to have jobs, <laughs> you know, like right. mine's very hard to lose at this point. You know, my, my partner is in an industry that is always in need of, of people. We may choose to carry a little bit less, you know, we may do more of a three month version than a six month version because the odds that both of us lose jobs in these fields is really, really low. Now, if I'm an entrepreneur, if I'm a gig economy person, where I might have a gangbuster month or two and then maybe it's dry for a little bit and then, you know, and it's up and down, like I may push it to more like a six to 12 month just to act as a, as a buffer and smooth, smooth things out a little bit. So it does depend on kind of where you are in your life and how many people you're supporting and those kind of things. But like, how, what's the downside if, if you lose your job, like how are you going to cover things? If you've got a working partner, that helps a lot. If you've got some parents that can help out, that helps. If you've got a side gig that can at least, you know, pay the rent, that helps. I, I, you want to be able to cover that, like you said, that worst case scenario of, okay, let's just say the economy shuts down and nothing's coming in for a few months. You know, you want to be able to cover something like that. When you went through the process, uh, when you and your partner were, you know, you're kind of wrapping up grad school, she was wrapping up nursing school, you're starting to financially have some freedom, and maybe even transitioning into those first jobs out of graduate school. Now you've got a little bit of a savings plan for your retirement, and you're working towards this emergency fund bucket. How long did you create the runway to fill that bucket? And what was your approach to your income as it relates to that filling up of that bucket? Yeah, that's a good question. It, I mean, I would say it probably took us somewhere between 12 and 18 months to, to get there um, for the emergency fund and memories are a little fuzzy, but you know, it's, it's not something that's going to happen in a couple months. Like it's going to take some time to build that up. The thing that I find intimidating about savings is let's say I make a thousand dollars a month, right? And my cost of living is, you know, 250, maybe 350 if I shave everything down. Is it okay if it, if it's 15, 20% of my income that I'm mm, right. breaking up? Is it okay if it's 8% of my income that I'm breaking off? Like when you're thinking about, I need to save for six months to your point, in order for you to save for six months of living, you're not going to be able to do it in two months because you have those two months, like unless there's just this, you know, up and down and up and down of, of money. Um, Like maybe you're a a contract musician where you got a big upfront payment that you kind of have to live off of. You can just like, okay, I'm going to rat hole this away and then live off of it. But in the, in a more traditional sense, you're making that thousand dollars month after month after month. And then you want to be able to somehow put away $6,000. You know, this is obviously a very simplified equation, but you want to put away $6,000 into that bucket. Um, And you're saying it takes you, you know, a year, year and a half. With that in mind, are you know how much are you putting away each month compared to your income, 
And did it fluctuate? Did you ever feel like, yeah, we're a little bit tight on money, but I got to make sure I get that, that put away. Or was it like, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive next month, this month, uh, you know, holidays are coming around. Maybe there's a little bit more income that needs to be spent in other ways. Um, how do you approach those little speed bumps? Cause it's just not this perfectly smooth, you know, turbulence free flight of life. Right, right. So I, there's, I think there's a couple approaches and we probably did a little bit of a mix of both. So I think the sort of like fully mathematical, rational approach would say, here's how much I need. Here's when I need it by. Here's if I'm going to get any return on this, you know, what is it? Now for an emergency fund, it's probably close to zero, right? I mean, we're, this is mainly cash and a savings account. So I guess that's, that's mainly it, right? So you can, you can do a sort of a payment formula in Excel and it'll, it'll tell you if I need $6,000 in 18 months, you need to put this much away a month, right? So that's like the, the sort of fully just rational, like this will get me where I'm going for sure, right? The other approach is more of a rule of thumb, right? So you may, you may have heard some of these, you know, like, well, you got to put at least 10% of way for savings or 15%, you know, people have different, different thumbs to make these rules for, but that's another approach. And honestly, looking back personally, we probably did a little bit of a mix. So I think what, what we, what I, I use the rule of thumb, 10 or 15%. Yep. And that was baked in, in a sense that we never saw that money. So you mentioned kind of, how do you, keep from cheating yourself and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, now this would be called sort of a behavioral economics kind of approach where you're taking into account the psychology of it. If you automate a chunk of your savings in a sense that it, as soon as your paycheck hits, it goes somewhere else and you never yeah. really have a chance to consume it, that will do a lot of the psychological work for you. And then it, again, it gives you something, you know, now you're started, right? It may not be all of what you would need to reach a certain goal, but you're at least moving, you're on the way and it becomes, it's not something you have to think about anymore, right? Like you automate it and then you kind of forget about it. And then what we would do is if, you know, if we had a good month or if we, you know, again, maybe you have an opportunity to, to do something like a short-term side gig or somebody's got a project they want you to help with. Well, then we can prioritize the extra money coming in and say, you know, this will help us get to this goal faster and we can, we can tag that on top. Um, so I, I th especially, again, it kind of depends on where you are in your life when you're doing this. So when we were young and just not making that much money, the, the rule of thumb was good for us because there, it was hard to look at a, an 18-month plan, right? And say, right. you know, because that number can come back and, and it may just be demotivating, right? It may, well, okay, it says yeah. I need to put $600 a month away. I don't have $600 a month. Now what do I do, Right. Whereas the rule of thumb, like, well, I've got $200 a month going in no matter what. And then we can figure out how to bridge that gap. So you also, you bring up a good point. When you're at the beginning of your adult financial independence, let's say you're in month two or month three, and then your plan says you have to save for 18 months or even 24 months. Like that's like telling a two-year-old, you have to wait until you're 12 years old before you can do something like that's forever from now. Uh, which can be very intimidating and very frustrating. And your peer group may not be in that same world that you're in. Um, your influences on you may not be in that world. Your parents may not have given you that same uh, code of conduct uh, or sense of uh, internal responsibility. So when you're in month two and you're trying to, to think about like, okay, I need to save for, you know, not having a job, which, you know, again, like if you're early in your career, early in your adult life, like you're kind of bulletproof. Like I was, I'm sure 
um, you know, you kind of just like, I got a good education. I'm a hustler. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then it's just like, Oh no, it's not fine. Like where did this come out of left field? <laughs> so um, I love the idea of like, you know, when you set up your direct deposit with your employer, you can create multiple accounts and you can break it up, whether it's you and your partner each get a certain amount of money and then the savings account gets a certain amount of money or something like that, but you never actually see it. So when you get up on payday and you look at your bank statement, that's your disposable, that's your bills, that's your spending money, and you're, you've already addressed that. On top of that, if you have a moment of maybe uh, February, your bills aren't quite as high because it's A, a shorter month, B, there's no big holidays, like maybe there's no birthdays, there's no things like that where graduations where you may have to pick up a few extra things, then you can throw an extra couple hundred bucks into that so that when June comes around and all your friends are getting married or, you know, December comes around and you're going uh, holiday shopping. Um, yeah, you throw- one little trick like that, especially if you get paid bi-weekly is, you know, you're going to get a couple months with an extra paycheck and those are perfect mm-hmm. for things like this too, right? Because if you kind of make yeah. your budget on, on two paychecks a month, um, and you, you don't, you haven't committed the other stuff. It's really easy to earmark that to help boost some goals along. That's a great point. Yeah. That's, um, every year there's two months where you get a third paycheck. Um, and that, you know, that brings up a whole nother conversation. Like what you get a nice little windfall of a couple thousand dollars. You've already paid your rent or your mortgage. You've already paid your living expenses. Uh, how do you break that extra money up? Or if there's just, uh, you know, a couple, Uh, a couple bucks falls your way for whatever reason in relation to savings. How do you both quench your thirst for a little bit of fun and um, quench your thirst for a little bit of safety? Yeah. So you personally do that. So when I got extra money, I I like to think about think kind of like a waterfall, right. And you, or you you think about like a series of, you've seen those like things at weddings, right. Where they have all the champagne glasses and they they pour the champagne down. (laughs) Um, What I like to think about is having that, pyramid built right before the money comes in and you're going to start with your number one priority and when that when you get to where you want to be on that one then you look to what your next one is right and so basically what we've said so far is match for retirement right you got to keep an eye on the long term so start there next one would be like an emergency fund right but once you've filled those things up now you've got to figure out what's the next champagne glass down you know that comes down next and you know this is where um Again, the rules of thumb get you so far, but they don't really answer this question, right? So even if I am putting my 15% away, like again, once I start meeting some of these goals, I've still got to figure out what to do with the the next money that comes in. Personally, I like to make sure, this is where um, I like to go back to that kind of fully mathematical, rational answer. And we talked earlier about the importance of, you know, having a nest egg when you're old and you're not able to work anymore, maybe you just don't want to work, is, you know, think through like, what would your kind of ideal situation be? Like, do you think 60 sounds good? Do you, you know, go right to full social security age? You love your job, you know, maybe you all go a little bit longer, but you know, put a target on it and do some back of the envelope math and, and get a sense of like, okay, well, what would that mean per month for the next couple decades? And get serious about that, right? Because you've got, especially when you're younger, the earlier you can start that process, the more time you have to have all the compounding and the interest build and and so I, I still like to kind of return to the long term on, on that, where are we at, our third champagne glass. I still like to go back and think about the long term and really make sure it's where you want to be before I then start thinking about other buckets for savings. And these, you know, those are some of the maybe middle term goals like, you know, house down payment, you know, weddings, 
college tuition for kids, you know, those kind of things would be kind of the next layer down. I love that analogy. So once you kind of fill up those buckets on a windfall moment, you can kind of go back and experiment a little bit. And I think one of the things that that you're very good at, at whether it is probably a combination of a little bit of natural ability, but also some very honed practiced ability is your lack of emotion with money. When When that July 3rd check comes around this year, you don't have a X, Y, and Z that you're just you know, every day you're looking online, ready to buy it, ready to buy it. But I think that's a little bit on the rare side, right? Like there's still a little bit of that, like, Hey, I, you know, wouldn't mind having a new whatever, or maybe I could treat my partner to this, or my kids have been wanting new whatever, or maybe there's a vacation or something there. Like if we can knock out those first couple of buckets with that extra, and then maybe just round up a little bit more, seeing as there's some more money. Does that come out? Or, or um, do you ever think about that relationship of enjoying the money in the moment and enjoying the money in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I, so what I do with, the, with the, the big purchases, right? The, the spa day, the weekend to the beach, that kind of stuff. Um, I honestly just think about that in my month-to-month budget. So it's not an expense that will hit every month, but I build into the budget sort of, you know, an average monthly cost if I want to do something, you know, so let's say we want to take two trips a year, they're each going to yeah. cost us, you know, 1500 bucks. So that's $3,000 that I spread out over the year and it's in my spending budget. So I don't necessarily have to do anything special for it. The months that I don't do it, that just kind of builds up in the savings account and then it's there on the months that I do want to use it. And then, so I, in some ways, I actually kind of take it out of what I would consider a savings bucket and I, and I've budgeted it as spending and I've just kind of amortized it over the entire year, if you will. Um, okay. And so that, that's kind of how I've kind of psychologically dealt with the big purchase kind of decision. In real time, let's say we're, we're in a month where that bucket for the vacation, it doesn't get executed, right? This is April. And that vacation is in August. So that $300 that's going to be there, do you leave it in your liquid checking account? Or do you siphon it off to another account? Like, how do you make sure that that doesn't, although we're recording daily, we're balancing our checkbook and recording everything in the spreadsheet. How do you make sure that that 300 doesn't just kind of wander off to, you know, Amazon or the grocery store, or maybe a fun night out with some friends or something like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is, this is very, I think kind of personality dependent. Um, again, I'm, you know, for me, I just kind of leave it in the checking account. I, it, the act of tracking our spending um, that we've talked about in earlier episodes is enough for me just to, to keep it in front of mind. But I have definitely heard people uh, create a lot of banks now will let you create kind of these sub accounts where you can specifically say, this is a trip, our trip fund. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, from kind of the behavioral economic side, you're, you're trying to get, you're trying to get it out of something that you're tempted by. So it's called a commitment device. You're basically saying, I don't even want to be tempted by this. I'm going to remove yeah. the possibility that I can spend this out of my regular checking account because I'm just going to squirrel it away in an account that's slightly harder to get to. Right. And that's totally fine. And I, it's just a matter of kind of knowing yourself and, and which, yeah. which is going to make the most sense for you. I mean, some people literally put in physical envelopes and, you know, hide it behind the cookie jar, you know? Um, yeah. But I think psychologically what you want, you just want to take the temptation away because it's hard day after day 
if, if you're, if you're the type that likes to check your numbers and as soon as you start seeing it up, you start thinking about how you can spend it. I would seriously consider trying to hide it from yourself so that you're never even tempted. You know, you don't see it as extra money. Yeah. I have uh, a little different approach than you do. And, and again, you and I have very different emotional reactions. Like I do the, the daily balancing of the checkbook. I look at the spreadsheet. I feel good when, you know, I turn my, my bills over and I can see those things add up and I look good when I feel good when I have my savings done. But when there's those little extra things, I actually move a hundred to $300 per paycheck of leftover money or kind of earmarked money into an E-Trade cash account that's separate from my bank that takes about 36 hours to transfer both in and out. And I also don't look at my E-Trade account very often for that exact reason. And it's literally like, I can't see it. I can't know because when I have, when I have gone through financial difficulties, it, beca- it makes me very insecure and very uh, discouraged. But when I go through financial upswings, I get very confident and I get very, I get a lot of like, oh man, I'm doing great. I'm, you know, financially my success is, is on point. Like, you know, let's celebrate a little bit. Let's, you know, let's order a, an appetizer at the restaurant or something, you know, and then that turns into like, well, I just spent like $800 at the, you know, the taco shop for the last two months. So I I think your point initially was very, uh, is very perfect in that everyone's personality is different. Identify it and then make sure that you can execute against who you are being vulnerable to um, and how honest you're being with yourself. Um, In some cases it's like, yeah, it's in the checking account, not worried about it. I'm good. I see it there. I see it on the spreadsheet. In some cases, it's like, hide this in the basement. Um, let's talk a little bit about like short-term saving. When There's kind of two, two prongs to this question I want to ask you. One is when you are early in your financial life, um, just you and your partner, and again, we're talking about it's taking you 18 months to get that uh, emergency fund built up, which was a priority. You've kickstarted your long-term savings priority. You're not making a ton of money and you want to go on a vacation or you want to go home and visit your family for the holidays or uh, friends are getting married and you need to travel for a week to the wedding site. You have to buy a new suit. You have to get gifts and all those types of things. How did you prioritize? How did you make this work? And then now that the that security money is the bucket is full, the income is a little bit higher, but there's also kids now and there's camps and there's soccer you know, teams and stuff like that. Um, how do you think about that now when we're trying to save for maybe that, that one or two vacations a year in a, in kind of a, a relationship to your income and also like your prioritization? Right. Right. Obviously the thing that makes this a lot easier is having a, a cushion, right? So a difference between a gap between what you're earning and what you're spending. And that's harder when you're not making as much. Um, so Honestly, what we did early on with those, you know, when you're in your mid late 20s and people are starting to get married and trips that you mentioned, we just rated the, the savings account, right? We rated the emergency fund. Um, probably not the best advice, but it was easier than it, it didn't, we didn't have to pay anybody interest. We didn't have to, you know, we had the habit of that money being refilled, right? We, we had already built a, a multi-year, you know, getting onto a multi-year habit of filling up that account. And so right. when we drew against it, we just turned that faucet back on and started dripping money back into it until we could get, get it back up to speed. I never 
like that was hard for me. Like I hated seeing, you know, I hated dipping back into it because it, you know, is this really an emergency kind of thing? Um, right. But um, that's what we did early on. And now, you know, we've grown our incomes. Um, that gap is much bigger. Honestly, it's just, it's almost like kind of slush fund money. Like it's, we can make relatively easily, we can make a couple big decisions about let's postpone this a month or two. We move this around here and we just cash flow yeah. it, honestly. You're, now, you're partly, partly with the fact that we- now. That's right. And partly because again, we've already kind of earmarked some spending that we know is going to be chunky every year, right? We know that the vacation money we budget every month, but we know we're going to use it a couple times a year. Um, and so the combination of that and then just having some extra gap between what we earn and spend, it, it it's, it's nice to be in a position where that's not, it doesn't cause me stress anymore to kind of handle those types of things. Yeah. When you were early in your financial life did you ever say like okay it's not so much like a wedding coming up where i'm going to need to pull something aside out of the emergency fund but did you ever say like i'm just going to throw a few extra bucks here or there or maybe i'm going to um, take a couple little side hustles just to fill up this so that when it's time it's there or was it more like you know what we're pretty strapped and and this is the this is the way it's going to go forward until the income really goes up and the expenses, you know, whether there's student loan payments or things like that start to subside a little bit. Yeah. Again, I, I think maybe my partner and I are good examples of this. So it kind of depends. I think it depends on the career. So I, I, in preparing for a career in academics, I didn't spend a lot of mental energy on side gigs or side hustles. Like to me, the more I could invest in this path, the payoff was going to be big enough. Now, yeah. My partner as a nurse, especially when we were in school, working, you know, shifts at the hospital, she could take on some extra shifts if we needed to, right? Like being an hourly right. employee, again, right. in demand. It, and it wasn't like we had to pivot to like delivering pizzas or Uber didn't exist at the time, but, you know, something equivalent to right. that. Right. We kind of stayed. At night or whatever. Right, right. We stayed within our career path. And, but even there, I think, you know, the RN position allowed for some flexibility where, you know, she could pick up some extra money relatively easily. Harder for me to do as a kind of a student, kind of, you know, new PhD. But I knew that if I kept focusing on papers and grants, that my payoff would come, you know, down the road. Interesting. Um, two approaches to long-term sustainable, rewarding careers. One is put your head down, focus, don't get distracted, put all of your effort into becoming a tenured professor, a uh, highly published professor, you know, uh, an economist. And then on the flip side, your wife also, your partner is quite successful in her career, but had a little bit more fluidity in those early years where she could go, you know, put in an extra 12 hours a week and see some nice significant return on investment. Yeah, That's I, a good position I, to be. But I do, I like the idea, Brett, of um, it's, I, your point's a good one. It's not just, can we crank back the spending, right? The the gap is what's important. So if there is, right. are the, if there's ways to bring in more money, that accomplishes the same thing, right? So yeah. the, the, especially, I mean, you know, all the stuff I'm describing is like 15 to 20 years ago. So, you know, the, stuff that's, yeah. the stuff that's available now for that kind of extra earning is way more accessible and way more, you know, easily adaptable for people. So definitely don't forget about that when you're trying to hit these goals. And, and I think that's, you know, not, not to, to go back and forth on how you and we are teaching our kids about money, 
but what you're suggesting is a very high level view of a career. The modern economy, like you were saying, like 20 years ago, like if you wanted to make a little extra money and you were an economist, it was bartending at night because you were an economist from nine in the morning until five or six in the evening, Monday through Friday. And then the options were waiting tables, bartending, maybe a valet or something like that. But there wasn't the option of an eBay side hustle where you could go, you know, to TJ Maxx or you could go to a, a garage sales or things like that on the weekend and find some really good deals and then mark them up on eBay. There wasn't the option of being uh, an Uber driver uh, at two o'clock in the morning doing airport runs or doing, um, you know, bar runs and things like that, where you're going to make some money kind of in those, those vacant hours into the today's world. Let's just, for example, you're a, you're a PhD student that's just wrapping up. You're living off of a stipend. You're doing your nine to five Monday through Friday. Um, you're hustling a little bit to, you know, get your research in, your writing in, maybe you're putting in a half day on Sunday, but you need a little extra income. What's your approach? I would probably look, uh, so the discipline I'm in is very data driven. We do a lot, we work with a lot of data, a lot of statistics. That's in high demand. I would be looking to build, if you were sort of formal, you know, a five-year plan, it basically I'd be building like a data consultancy sort of thing. But in the meantime, I'd be looking for, I mean, you could even start on like Amazon Turk or something, right? But like, basically, like I'm looking to build a reputation of like, look, you give me some data, I can help you give some answers out of it and start building sort of a line of work in that. Because one, I've already learned how to do it. Two, I enjoy it. Three, there's a demand for it in the market. So that's probably where I would go is kind of build, start building towards that kind of side consultancy. And you have a core competency that would put you ahead of other people in that market. Right. right. Uh, particularly like, say you're coming right out of college. It's like, I got time. I've got the expertise. I'm going to just create this account. I can sit up in my room at, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night and I can bang out some, some work, make a little bit of money. Right. That's great. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question and then we can kind of summarize everything. But when you think about saving, what for you was an intimidation towards savings, whether it's now or whether it was when your kids were born or when you very first started your kind of financial freedom and your financial life, when you sat back and were like, Oh my gosh, how is, how am I going to do this? Um, I personally can think of a half dozen things without much effort, <laughs> you know? And I think that's one of the things about being financially independent is navigating the things that scare you and peacefully managing the things that excite you and that you're good at. Um, so kind of making the best of both worlds. What, what was it for you? I think it was probably the size of the goals. So as soon as you start thinking about, we want, we want to buy a house or let's say you actually take my advice and you think about, okay, well, you know, maybe let's 62, let, you know, that, we'll get out a couple years early, you know, travel. Here's what I think we'll need to spend. And you get the number back and it's, you know, 2.2 million. Right. And you're sitting there at 26, 27, you're like, right. I have no idea what that kind of money looks like. How right? am I going to save $2.2 million yeah. when I'm making X thousands a year, <laughs> right? Not yeah. hundreds of thousands, not whatever, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Moving from, you know, yeah. 
five digit income to, you know, multiple six figure assets, right? Like how does that work? Um, and that's, right. it's just intimidating. We're not, I don't, you know, I don't think humans are good at thinking about numbers that big all the time, you know? Um, so that was probably the most intimidating. What did I, how did I approach it? I think eventually yeah, what, I just. What was, what was a Friday night conversation or a, a Tuesday afternoon conversation with your partner about like, Hey, here's the reality. And, and this is really intimidating. What, what were those moments like? What was that conversation like? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's kind of like carrots and sticks to this, right? So like at some level you can kind of take the fear and say, well, I mean, we're going to need that much money. Like I better get started now. Right. And so there's that side of it. The, the carrots are also knowing that, you know, if you, if you've ever played around with like a retirement calculator, you really learn fast how the time horizon, how much the time horizon matters and how starting just a few years earlier means that what you have to put away a month is way less than you'd think, right? So you do these comparisons where if I start at 30, if I wait till 35 versus I start at 25 and that can turn into a positive as well, right? Like, oh, well, I, right, you know, I was that young person. If I start now, it won't be as big a deal um, as if, you know, compared to if I wait longer. So it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, I guess, but, um, it's a big number, but it's also realizing that it's far enough away that the best, like the best thing we can do is just to get started on it. So that's eventually what we did. We just kind of jumped in and said, well, there's no way this, this isn't magically going to fix itself. Like we just got to get going. There's a lot of it, you know, in my, and I'm sure in a lot of folks, like just everyday life, when you stumble upon advice or theories about savings or building your career things, there's so many one-liners that I think do a disservice to the endeavor that you're embarking on. You know, the, the simple ones are the Rome wasn't built in a day and how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time, right? Like, yeah, it took a long time to, to create the Roman empire and it took a long time to, to do this and that, but you can't really summarize a human's lifetime earnings and responsibility and the complexity of saving for retirement, saving for your kids to go to college, saving for an emergency, validating the work that you're doing in the moment and enjoying your life in the moment and digesting all of that at once. Like it's a very emotional, complicated path to navigate ripe with opportunities to make errors. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is just start it and acknowledge it and take one step at a time. Fair? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, I, you know, I would start, I would automate it. I wouldn't, especially for the really long-term stuff, like you, like you did with your E-Trade account, I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. Like once you get everything set up and I would just make sure that that discretionary spending that you have at the end is just spent on things that, you know, truly, truly make you happy. They don't necessarily have to be expensive. Awesome. Very thoughtful. Uh, much appreciated of the kind of the internal look at what you're doing, um, how you've approached the last 20 years of everything. But it particularly, like I was saying, it's a complex roadmap and you're halfway, if not two thirds of the way through it. So being able to look back on, on what you've accomplished, I'm sure A, feels good and B, you can kind of glean some, some pretty awesome nuggets of advice. So I appreciate you sharing all of that info with us. We'll have a few summaries. Yeah, absolutely. A few summaries, a few bits on the website. I love the uh, champagne waterfall wedding approach to savings. And it's like, once that first one's full, 
then the second one's going to get full, then the third one's going to get full. And if the champagne is still flowing down, <laughs> you know, drink the champagne. <laughs> so uh, We'll leave it at that. But that was fantastic. As always, I appreciate the candor and the, uh, the input and pulling the curtain back on uh, something that can be quite intimidating and quite daunting to the uneducated uh, financial planner and, and family financial operator for your household or whatever. So um, awesome as always. Thank you so much. Look forward to another chat soon. All right. Me too. Hey friends, Brett from Trogonomics, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We had a great time recording it. I hope you enjoyed it and found it resourceful and useful. After listening, please head to the website for all the details and the resources and the information that you just heard in the episode, as well as past episodes and a bit more background on Trog and myself. The website is trogonomics.com, T-R-O-G. O-N as in Nancy, O-M as in Michael, I-C-S dot com, T-R-O-G-O-N-O-M-I-C-S dot com. You can also find us on social media at Trogonomics. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time.